Dharma, Modifying Negative Thinking, and the Never-Ending Pursuit of Happiness by Embracing Suffering. Behind the podcast of episode EF10, I'm Scott Ely. Welcome to episode 31 of the Evolve Faster podcast. A brief spoiler notice, you're about to listen to a behind the podcast episode, looking back at episode EF10, which was season one, episode eight of the Evolve Faster podcast titled, The Road to Happiness is Inked in Suffering. The driving question of this episode and this behind the podcast for you to think through is, does happiness define the good? So I'm going to briefly read one of the paragraphs from the description on the website, just to remind you of the episode. Coming from a wealthy family, most others would only dream of the life that Alex leads. Every moment is another silver platter where he's handed all the best education, can have his pick of expensive items, and experience seemingly infinite joys. Although grateful for everything, Alex can't shake the reality that he isn't happy or fulfilled by any of this at all, nor could he really even define what happiness would look like for him. But why? What could possibly be missing when having everything you want? There are many perspectives on what defines happiness and what actually happiness is. It's such a baffling question that we all might think we know the answer to, but at the same time, we probably have no damn clue. Because happiness is fleeting, often inconsistent, not always reproducible, seemingly influenced by a multitude of other things, like the happiness of those around you, which you can't control, I could go on. For a word that implies sunshine, rainbows, and unicorns, that seems so simple. It's really not so simple at all. So I often ask myself what philosophical perspectives help us understand happiness, and at the end of the day, what is a good life anyway? Is it money, love, success, friendship, family, career? Is it all those things? Or is happiness something that's far beyond everything else, and thus we can't measure and create a plan for happiness? Nevertheless, the question that itches us, and will probably continue to itch us for a long time, does having to ask the question mean that we're not happy? And if so, why? So that's enough setup. Let's get into the main behind the podcast aspect of this episode, and we'll get back to all the happiness rumination in the Q&A. There's something about the sixth episode of a season that all things seem to go wrong. I don't know why maybe six really is the devil's number, just like the, the tritone, the devil's chord, or the devil's interval in music, triad and the flatted fifth. It's a three-note combination that composers were not allowed to play ever, lest you risk being burned at the stake or whatever the medieval shit they were had on offer at the time. So anyway, apparently that's the musical equivalent of the sixth episode in a series of a dozen or so, it seems. The tritone of podcast episodes. This one was totally rewritten from scratch twice. When something like that happens, it's hard to keep your head up with a zen-like, everything-will-be-fine worldview which is quite ironic considering the episode in one part talks about Buddhism and its teachings, and it's ultimately about happiness and what it means. And let me tell you, I was anything but in a Zen-like state of mind when we were definitely channeling all this suffering. So for instance, the first version sucked and we agreed to write it all over again. It may not seem like the most efficient option, but when you've written enough things like this, you know when it's unrecoverable. 
So you can waste a lot of time trying to save something. And in fact, on a different episode, I can't remember which one it was, I believe it was the original version of EF-12, we attempted to save a really terrible story and, you know, we wasted another couple days on it. We brainstormed and I asked Antonio to write the first draft of the second version and I immediately felt horrible upon receiving it because I knew it was so crap. <laughs> and luckily Antonio knew it sucked too. So imagine that feeling. A couple of weeks behind you and you're in the exact same spot. You thought you were moving forward, but you haven't really moved a muscle. And in fact, you've actually gone backwards because now you're in the same spot and you're totally discouraged. The reason I say the sixth episode is the one that turns everything upside down is that the same damn thing has already happened in season two and season three, even though they're just in early drafts. They aren't actually written since we don't have the time to focus on the podcast completely and we certainly don't have the time to be working on future seasons when we're working on this active season. But the outlines that I had have already crapped out and had to be redone. So this honestly made me wonder if maybe I had one too many episodes per season. So at one point, I thought to just kill it. But as I mentioned in one of the last Ask Me Anything episodes, there's a method to my madness here and there is a story arc and a topical arc that this whole journey is taking. So missing, you know, even taking one single episode out would leave a hole in my platform or what I'm trying to, to do here. Maybe I'm the only one who would notice, but I'm trying to make this thorough in line with my vision and I think ultimately it will make sense to more people once it's, it's all pieced together. Uh, this will be the story of how I overcame this nasty mid-season lull how I almost gave in and risked losing something highly valuable, which was my structure. And I guess we can call it the midlife crisis of my podcast seasons, mid-season crisis. Uh, in other words, let's find out how I managed to overcome the crisis without wasting money on sports cars and drugs. First, uh, let me run through the questions that we're gonna approach here. And hopefully these questions will actually uh, help you see how we arrived at solving the problem. Why the question, does happiness define the good? Does this happen to people who are very rich? What is Dharma? What did you learn writing this episode? Is Alex Sid from one of the earlier episodes? Why does he reappear so many times? Who is Mr. Wright supposed to be? And who is the nameless tattoo shop guy? Why the question, does happiness define the good? Since the entire season is about mind, it would be delinquent to not tackle happiness as a topic. Also, the previous episode, which was the finale of the three-episode saga, was all about emotions. So this episode, at least thematically, continued where that one left off. What does it mean to be happy? I mentioned in the last two BTP and AMA episodes that this was the final episode in the section on managing emotions, or cohesive thinking as I call it in the platform. It's a topic that's been discussed countless times, of course, happiness, but that makes it enticing in a way to try and approach it in an original way. Is there anything new we can provide to the general discussion already on the table? Now that I think about it, this might be one of the reasons why this sixth episode in the season was so hard to create. So on the other hand, I couldn't give up because it's an important topic. I mean, if a topic has been chewed to the point where it looks like a millennia's old piece of gum, but still gets attention, it's gotta be important. One thing we keep hearing, or we believe maybe, is that happiness is a certain point we need to reach in life. 
And once we've reached it, all of our troubles will be gone and we'll be able to put our feet on the table and enjoy the good life. Like Sisyphus, we meaninglessly roll the rock of happiness up the hill of life until the absurdity of it all hits us. Albert Camus concluded in his essay, The Myth of Sisyphus, by saying, the struggle itself is enough to fill a man's heart. One must imagine Sisyphus happy. So what do you mean by this? So try and remember a moment in your life when you really wanted to have something, let's say a new gadget. When did you feel full, filled with life the most? When you got it or in the process of attaining it? When you were going through all the ups and downs, research, earning the money for it, etc. When you got it, you probably, you know, used it a couple days and then mostly stopped thinking about it. Throughout life, we copy paste this same thought template to more serious life events and keep on making the same mistakes until our, our pursuit for happiness rewards us with bitterness, pain, and depression. I think that's why many of the positive psychology movement and self-help guides related to this are going to be challenging for most people to get much out of them. It seems like people are confused because we believe that as long as we keep a positive attitude, will automatically become happy. But that's like trying to walk on water by forcing yourself to believe that you can. No matter how much you believe, you're always gonna sink. I think these are areas where practical philosophy gets more things right than positive psychology, for instance. This is what we cover in this episode, both age-old and modern approaches to understanding happiness as a practice, not as a destination or a simple mindset. So happiness is such a confusing topic for us. We all know how it feels in passing moments, but we don't understand what it really is and that it is repeatable with practice. And I think philosophy can help with that understanding. So if we wanna make a full circle of absurdity, we can refine the question and instead of asking if happiness defines the good, we can ask if pursuing happiness is good for us. It sure seems to bring a lot of trouble in the form of both physical and mental issues. How many people have gone crazy trying to find or even to define happiness? No matter the case, Camus sure would be proud of us. Does this happen to people who are very rich? Well, imagine back to maybe the feudal days when, say, livestock was the measurement of richness. You're living your everyday life and your neighbor has lots of cows. He's the richest dude in the village. What would you say the chances are that he's happy? Or better put, what are the chances he's unhappy? Money, or cows in this case, definitely helps, but thinking it's the definitive key to happiness falls short. Maybe those cows are a huge pain in the arse, and the jealousy he endures from people around him makes him constantly uneasy. There's a specific reason why I decided for Alex to come from a rich family, and no, it wasn't to say that rich people bleed as well. I don't want to say exactly why, but I will say it's another piece of a bigger, interesting puzzle that I'd guess quite a few of you figured out. As I said, Alex, aka Sid, is a subtle, pivotal character in the entire season, and we wanted to make sure that everything about him isn't out of the blue. Instead, everything's specifically connected in one way or another. So the wealthy aspect does serve an effective way to talk about happiness as well, because most of us falsely perceive wealth to be equal to happiness. That's also why Alex feels embarrassed because he thinks he shouldn't be a spoiled, unhappy brat when he's effectively sitting on piles of cash. So when we added that color to his character, I started to like Sid's younger version even more. So similar to Lisa from the previous episodes, before adding these small pieces, Alex was just an average character with no real depth. 
It's fascinating to see characters come to life as you add these traits, backstory, remove others. All of a sudden, they become someone you like or dislike. It's uh, it's as if you're making a mental sculpture that makes more and more sense as you progress further. So it's definitely a satisfying experience, especially when you hear from people who also got really into certain characters. It reminds me of hearing that J.K. Rowling uh, had to apologize to her Harry Potter fans for killing off some character. It's abs it's absurd on one hand. I can only imagine how much hate mail that George R. R. Martin gets for his love of slaughtering beloved characters, sometimes en masse in scenes like the Red Wedding of Game of Thrones. So far, no hate mail about the, uh, the Evolve Faster characters. I guess I'm not trying hard enough. What is Dharma? Well, I'm clearly no Buddhist scholar. I'm at best a Buddhist tourist who's done some short, silent retreats. I meditate semi-regularly, practice daily mindfulness, and I love taking photos of Zen monasteries in Japan. A true tourist, minus the Instagram part. Dharma has multiple meanings, and as I understand it, there isn't a specific English word that can thoroughly translate the concept, at least as far as I know. But in short, it's what's considered to be the right way of living, like most specifically for us as individuals. Same as there's Dharma, there's a Dharma, or the wrong way of living. But now, as you imagine, we, we had the problem of how to incorporate something that doesn't have a specific English translation as a metaphor. So although the main episode's topic is happiness, Alex's journey is ultimately one of finding the right way of living. So although he knows about Dharma, thanks to Mr. Wright's lectures, he doesn't understand it. Pretty much as everything he's, else he's taught, he has the theory, but he lacks the experience, pretty much like most of us. So he has to push himself to get outside his safe bubble to actually experience what he already knows intellectually. Also, don't you think it's fitting that from the English point of view, there's no single word translation of this concept? Finding happiness is as much of an abstract concept as Dharma is. We theoretically know what happiness or Dharma is, but we can never actually put our finger on it. Thus, it's, it only fits that the one thing we search for is as abstract in its definition as is the actual pursuit. If ever a well-educated Buddhist scholar listens to this episode, I'm sure he'll say we didn't even come close to defining Dharma correctly. But acknowledging your suffering and learning from it, in fact, leveraging it to find your brand of happiness is the component we were going for. So finally, I wanted Alex to move from the theoretical to an experiential understanding of the concept. So luckily we had possible steps already locked with Alex meeting various people and the final step happens in the end when he gets pulled back to reality by realizing the time passing by. What did you learn writing this episode? So like all episodes, I, I definitely learned a lot writing this one about myself and about, about some of the topics. Since we were just talking about Dharma, I'll mention that as one of the things that I learned more about. It helped me realize that working on embracing suffering is a never-ending task, which sort of sucks when you think it through. But I still catch myself in what I call writer's suffering when I yet again face the common obstacle that is generally called writer's block, which I don't really believe in, by the way. I mean, writing is like any creative pursuit. It's usually a grind. And avoiding the grind is no different than avoiding any kind of work. 
I think writer's block is simply an unwillingness or maybe an exhaustion to sit down at the keys and endure another annoying pain uh, that happens when you don't know where a piece is going or the page is blank. Anyway, whatever it is, the, the concept of writer's block as a feeling is always the same, although it's no longer unknown and it doesn't have the surprising effect, but it still punches with the same force as the first time. Of course, existential suffering is much worse. A person not having to eat is by far a worse position than not knowing what to write. But when you say it all comes down to the current point you are in your life, so we all have our at the moment suffering, no matter if you're rich, poor, sad, or even happy, there's always something to bug you. We don't even worry about that. Our mind will make sure we always have something on our plate. Even the episode's protagonist suffers even though he's a rich kid. So although this is the most entitled of all sufferings, for him, it's just that. It reminds me of a little comedic bit that I think is Louis C.K., where he makes fun of people complaining about their airplane seat as being uncomfortable, to which he replies, you're flying through the air, which is so true. Like as entitled as, as humans, we can be so entitled. You know, you're able to fly through the air from one place to the next, but yet you'll complain about like, you know, this is kind of a small bag of peanuts they gave me. So it really is unending the way we can find things to be disappointed about in life when we really have no place to be considering there are lots of people out there born into far worse circumstances than anyone listening to this podcast right now. Back to the faux but real suffering of writer's block. It can get frustrating as I often tell myself, okay, Scott, now you know in advance you're going to hit a wall at some point here. And like always, you'll overcome it, so why make it hard on yourself? But still, when that wall finally appears in front of me, the suffering, for what it's worth, is the, the same mint condition as it was from day one. No mental gymnastics can shut down the suffering that will come. Writing about Dharma in this episode made me realize that there's little or no chance we will ever be able to mute suffering. There's just no point in fighting it, which is really what this episode and these concepts are all about. Instead, embracing the suffering can lead to changing negative thinking from the inside. So instead of fighting it from the outside, it's like treating the root cause instead of the symptom. And sure, and as precise as an atomic clock, while working on the future episodes, the wall came to greet me yet again and again. And every time I still felt frustrated, angry, and all the other colors of that annoying rainbow. But something about writing the episode made it easier. And, you know, the word easy isn't entirely correct. It made it more acceptable, maybe more trivial. But knowing everything I just said does make it pass more quickly too. So this is a similar thing that happens with meditation and mindfulness. The more you do it, the more you're able to let go of things. The process of being more present and in the now, it becomes a practice that your mind gets used to. And so when something happens, it's harder to pull you into the past or the, or the future because you're kind of trained in staying in the now. So you can get mad, but it dissipates more quickly. Using mindfulness and stoicism are very powerful to lessening, but never removing suffering. Just to wrap up about Dharma, every time I go and look at the Evolve Faster website, I can clearly see and remember how much effort has gone into making this. It's, it's hard to explain Dharma, and I'm not even positive I fully grasp it, but for me, 
my dharma, as I kind of explained it in the, in the episode, is that feeling when I realized that all this wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for all the effort and the suffering that went into painful late nights and everything it took to make this. You decide to do something, you suffer, so you put in effort to relinquish it, and if you work hard enough, the result pays off. Component of Dharma, which speaks to me, and the one we have Alex embody in the episode, and the tattoo artist, is that embracing suffering towards changing negative thinking is a never-ending practice that you can be successful in taking on. It's not going to end up in a Buddhist dictionary, but there you go. Is Alex the same Sid from one of the previous episodes? Why does he reappear so many times? So I just want to mention again that this is a big spoiler for those of you who haven't listened to the main episode. It's a major plot twist, so I suggest you go and listen to it if you're interested and haven't done it yet. But assuming you, you care, um, Sid is, in a subtle fashion, the pivotal character of the entire season. But... Originally, we didn't plan to dedicate a complete episode to him. The idea was to have him appear in every episode as a recurring character. But this idea gave birth to an even bigger idea. Since all episodes are connected thematically, why not connect them plot-wise as well? So it sounded like a great idea, but there was one important condition. Each episode still had to work as an individual episode as well. And the reason for that is, you know, we're a new podcast and I don't want people to feel like a heavy weight of having to listen to the whole season. You know, when someone's learning a new podcast, they may only listen to one or two to try it out. And I didn't want them to listen to episodes that felt disconnected. So every episode is entirely independent. And that became a creative constraint that's been really fun to work with because it's cool to be able to just share a single episode with, say, a friend of mine that... Um, likes artificial intelligence so I can share episode EF11 with that person. And for marketing purposes, we have these individual episodes and people can pop in and listen to whatever they want. It's not, you don't have to take on the weight of, you know, a whole season when you're learning a new podcast. So it's been a, it's been a fun constraint and we're going to keep doing it. But then we also have this kind of cool challenge of also connecting them while keeping them independent. So the same way we intended for Sid to subtly influence other characters throughout the episodes, he influenced us in upgrading the entire season concept. It's really interesting how often your ideas can influence you without even realizing it. We have this plan B, Sid would get this whole episode for himself. So it goes without saying that this required an enormous rewrite, which later became the failed attempt number two. But if nothing else, we at least had a somewhat stable foundation with layers of errors and failures built on its own frustration. And that was the cement that was keeping it together. But this uh, frustration house we built also came as a blessing in disguise. So soon enough, it became a sort of breeding ground for a lot of new season ideas that went way beyond a single episode. So we were sort of gifted with tons of exciting ideas for the entire season and zero solutions for a single episode. But I think it was a fair trade from the, my current point of view, absolutely. And from past point of view, maybe we didn't think so at the time. With Sid in the picture, we thought it'd be interesting to have a similar character for each season, one overlooking everything else as the representative. We'll see, but there are other ideas on the table. I'm not sure what's gonna happen in seasons two and three, but I'm not gonna say more as this is a spoiler that goes beyond 
this episode, and if you're so inclined, be on the lookout for hints scattered through the seasons. Those with a sharp eye or a sharp ear might discover little details. Who is Mr. Wright supposed to be? Who is the nameless tattoo shop guy? So I genuinely, genuinely like both of these characters for one simple reason. They're perfect side characters from a story writing perspective. Like any good supporting actor, each plays a strong role in pushing the main protagonist's story forward. Without their guidance, the story would be would definitely be mediocre at best. So what I like about them is their purpose is also their direct role in guiding Alex. On one side, we have Mr. Wright, an intelligent professor with formal education, who's more than just a professor. He's this wise man who cares deeply about people, especially Alex. And then on the other side, we have this tattoo guy who seems to be like an average person, but behind that average averageness, he's a street version of this a similar type of wisdom. And the difference is the two characters have completely different life paths that brought them to their own brands of wisdom. In the middle, we have Alex, who has no wisdom. He's a lost, inexperienced kid who knows a lot but doesn't know anything. And he has the chance to soak in what these two side characters have to share from different perspectives. So he initially came up with Mr. Wright, uh, but at the beginning, he was just this average, boring character. And in a way, I look at Mr. Wright as an upgrade to Mr. June from the first episode. But as for the tattoo artist, his character was born when I decided that the tattoo was gonna be the episode's metaphor. So we went back and I wrote the whole part about Mr. Wright's tattoo. And a funny story about that, the Yantric tattoo, is that that was all just happening at the time in my life. I, I didn't know anything about those a week before this part of the episode got written, but I had just um, been, I was just in Thailand. We were on, on the trip with, with Stella and we'd been in Thailand for about a month and we were in, in Bangkok and I had the opportunity to go to this to learn about these yantric tattoos, which I had no idea about. I'd seen them before, but I didn't I didn't know what they were. They're, they're these elaborate tattoos. It's it's described well in the in the uh, episode. And that's why that's such a detailed scene talking about this tattoo, but it fits so perfectly in this story once we decided that the tattoo was the metaphor. Let me just, I'll read this section. Mr. Wright pulled off his shirt and turned his back to Alex, revealing an intricate set of bizarre-looking tattoos on his back. Alex had seen tattoos in books and movies, of course, but these tattoos didn't look like anything Alex had ever seen. There were combinations of animals, both real and imaginary, shapes, scrolling vertical texts, and many other tribal-looking symbols. Most of the outlining looked something like some sort of ancient language. Alex had studied root languages like Latin, and he knew the basic about some of the oldest written languages. This writing looked a bit like Sanskrit, done in a slightly drunken fashion. Some lines were very clean, and others jagged. But his back looked like one giant tattoo. But upon further inspection, it was clear there was actually a patchwork of different tattoos in a similar style weaved into a meaningful tapestry. The professor laughed gently. Well, I can assume from your reaction that you've never heard or seen of Yantric tattoos before. It's an ancient and sacred tattoo tradition practiced in the Khmer people, an ethnic group native to Cambodia that also has deep ties to traditions of Hindu and Buddhism. It's a mystical art form that has symbolic lineage to the religions and mythologies of these parts of Southeast Asia. Taken individually, these simplistic diagram tattoos have three purposes depending on what the person chooses. One, protection, for example, is from evil and hardship. 
then in combination, as the mythology goes, the benefits compound. And visually, there's a growing complexity of the intertwined symbiology. I've traveled all over the world and experimented with many types of experiences, Alex. At a certain time in my life, the mythology of Yantric tattoos really spoke to me when I felt like I was seeking something and never finding my path. Every time I'd go back to Asia, I'd get another tattoo. You see, these tattoos are guided by what you need out of life at that time to be happy. Maybe it's protection. Maybe it's inner peace. The tattoo ceremony itself is very personal and between the subject and the antric artist. They train for many years in the art, the ancient language, and the related Buddhism and Hinduism, mythology and superstition. And then the tattoos are done in about a quarter of the time of a regular modern tattoo with a single needle affixed to the end of a long, thin staff. The precision is amazing, considering the delivery mechanism. Mr. Wright got a tattoo probably because I was in Thailand at the time and digging this dude getting a yantric tattoo. And it really is an amazing thing to watch. The tattoo artist does have this long interview with the person getting the tattoo, and he is trained in all these mystical things. You know, they're they're all super, they're superstition, but they're based on all these parts of Hinduism and Buddhism and then some kind of made-up superstitions and mythology. He then guides the person towards what is the tattoo that right now is going to give him a sense of happiness. It's going to make him feel like he's protected if he's feeling like he needs that. So there's all these, you know, meanings or whatever. This guy I was with decided to get one, and after they make the decision, he, you know, has this long staff, and he holds it on his shoulder, and at the tip of it is just a long single-point needle. And then he just like, it's like a pool cue that he's poking the guy with on his shoulder. But the ink is bleeding all over the place. And somehow he's he's making these lines that are nearly perfect. So it was, it was a really cool experience to watch and get to see the whole thing. And I chickened out and didn't get one, but I, I don't have a tattoo at all. So it, uh, it wasn't something I was I was ready to just, to just dive into. But Mr. Wright got that tattoo. He was, he was, that was the only kind of tattoo he was gonna get. And it made for such an impact because it tied to all the Eastern philosophies and everything of the episode. Another perfect example of just looking around in your life for the right scenario that you can, you can write about. It automatically made him a more interesting character. And it was likely that the audience was gonna think to themselves, okay, this guy isn't your usual professor, but he also has this crazy side where he travels and gets tattoos and God knows what else. He isn't some like, you know, just stuck up academic. Finally, I didn't know how to connect us to Sid directly. And then revolutionary idea number two hit. I should have Sid get a tattoo. My, uh, my creative muscles were working full power with that one. I think I'd already written the intro scene, but I, or maybe, maybe the intro scene was the last thing I, I wrote. I definitely had the idea all at once that he has a tattoo. We had used that. I think I think uh, Antonio had put that Vonnegut quote in there. We're both huge Vonnegut fans. And um, he had put that quote in the original version, and it seemed fitting that Sid would have that sentence. I wrote the intro and, and the outro scene at the same time, knowing that that was going to be the big reveal right at the end. Tattoo really tied this whole episode together. So there's lots of cool pieces we had, and then um, all these things came together when it kind of gelled with this tattoo theme. Tattoo became the tool that we needed to connect beginning and the ending in the middle. In the middle, And in my opinion, it worked really well. Again, it wouldn't be possible if in the beginning we didn't have these two side characters of Mr. Wright and the tattoo artist. And 
Then finally, all this led me to the title, which, as I mentioned before, I've always, I always brainstorm four to eight of these if I can, and then I'll just keep chipping away at them because titles take a lot of time to develop. When I finally had the tattoo thing, then I jotted a bunch down and sent them back and forth with, with Antonio. So for example, here's, here's some of the other ones. Freehand suffering on a Dharma canvas. The road to happiness is a canvas inked in suffering. Dharma ink, a journey to suffering and back. And then finally, inked in suffering, a journey to Dharma and back. So that's the kind of uh, brainstorming that goes into these, these things. There's usually a bunch of them. Some of them are extremely terrible. And not having any real-life tattoo experience, I was definitely stretching my tattoo knowledge to come up uh, with, with that list. That's why this list is shorter than most. Okay, so to wrap this one up, I think I've covered all the relevant questions here. Thanks for all the questions. You can always submit them to evolvefaster.com forward slash discuss. So I've already revealed most of what happened here, but in wrapping up, I'll finish by describing a little more about the podcast midlife crisis, which in reality was my crisis. Instead of doing things the way I always have by constantly forcing things to go forward, I took a look and took a step back and what was missing from the season. I realized that the story needed that needed telling was about the season's main character was his backstory, meaning Sid's backstory. So that turned out to be a huge missing link in the arc of the seasons. With the initial version, it was just another episode stuffed into the middle of a season. But by turning it into a backstory, it became so much more interesting and valuable of a story. So, and in thinking of it now, that I almost missed an immensely valuable element because of a moment of frustration. It's, it's kind of sad that that can happen. And I don't know how many times in my life that I've walked away from things because it was hard like that. So think about it, look back at your life. Are there any moments where if you just stuck to something a bit longer, would you have achieved your goal or a different goal? And actually the real question is, Will you be capable of it doing it next time? Not in some future event that didn't happen yet, but exactly now. So for me, it really should have been obvious because it was a good reminder to give up everything instead of giving in. And in this case, it was the first and second plot to gain something more important, perspective. Finally, and this is something I noticed later, we actually did the same thing when we made Alex doing the story. He had to give up everything to gain more. We had to go from being 6,000 words rich to zero, and then 5,000 words rich, new words rich, back to zero again to find something more valuable. Definitely a hard decision, but now I'm absolutely glad we made it. But still, there's, there's no point in wallowing in the past. It makes me wonder how many times do we fail during this limited amount of time we have we're alive. But as I said, that doesn't matter. Both happiness and suffering is now and everything else is trivial. So I hope you enjoyed this uh, behind the podcast, looking back at episode EF10. Please support the show, share it with your friends, give it reviews, and come to the, the uh, subscribe page if you can on, on our website. Take care, and we'll look forward to seeing you in the next episode. The Evolve Faster podcast is written, produced, and performed by Scott Ely. Many episodes are also co-written with the help of Antonio Rosich. It takes an enormous effort to produce all the quality, original content needed for this podcast. Your support would be greatly appreciated, and you can learn about multiple ways to do so by going to evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. 
Here you'll find direct links to review and give the podcast five stars on key platforms like iTunes and share it on social media. These are free to do, but are critical to audience growth. And the only way to find out about new seasons is to register your email, so please do so. You will only receive valuable content and information on upcoming seasons and products. And finally, if you're benefiting from the Evolve Faster podcast, direct financial support at whatever amount you can afford is important for our survival. Running ads on a channel for free thinking content is an inherent conflict of interest. So if you want the podcast content to remain unhindered by commercial interests and stay edgy and raw, then direct support is the best and only path to content independence. Also, writing and production of each episode of the Evolve Faster podcast is a major undertaking spanning many months. It's a labor of love, but it does need your help to survive. So please consider becoming a subscriber at evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. Your help and support are greatly appreciated and are what makes this podcast possible. Isn't it time for an upgrade? It's time to evolve faster.